There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, good to have you here. Pleasure to be here as always. Yep. We record in this room, in this building, and uh, sometimes I meet with clients in this room. One guy came in uh, last week and he said, oh my God, is this where you, you record your podcast? I said, yeah. So this is where the magic happens. This, exactly. <laughs> this is the workshop. I also spent some time listening to our last week's episode on headlines and killer bees. I have to tell you, I quite enjoyed the episode myself. If you do say so yourself. Yeah. Well, that's good. Kind of a funny thing to say, right? Listening to yourself talk about things that you talk about in your own voice. Anyways, I thought it was a good one. So I think people should go back and listen to that one because headlines are all around us these days and always. And one of the headlines we get today is around bonds versus bond funds, interest rates, inflation, all those types of things, right? Well, and you know, a lot of this discussion about bonds and bond funds, you don't hear a lot of it when interest rates are low. But when interest rates are higher, like they are now, it becomes more of an issue because you're hearing such and such a bank is is issuing a two-year bond at 5.6 or 5.8% or something. And then you tend to get interested when you hear those kinds of numbers. And so we're starting to see more and more, get more and more questions with regards to buying an individual bond versus buying a bond fund, which we've been doing for decades. Yeah, and in all fairness, interest rates right now are higher than they've been my entire career in regards to bond interest rates and things like that, right? I remember working at the bank in 2000, selling five-year GICs, paying 5%. That was the last time that I'd seen those numbers until recently. Well, now recently, the more recent numbers, I should say. Recently, the more recent numbers, Greg. Are you with the Department of Redundancy Department? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Irregardless. The um, irregardless, of course, is not a word. But the GICs I mentioned, yes, you can get 5% on a GIC these days, but not for a a five-year GIC. No, no. And I started a little bit earlier than you, and so I joined the business We were just in the early stages of this great bull market in bonds, which means interest rates going from record highs back in 1982 to where they were a couple of years ago. And I remember in 1997, apologizing to someone because I could only get 6.2% on a 10-year government of British Columbia strip bond. That seemed low. So, uh, So yeah, it just goes to show how everything is relative. And relative to where we've been for the last many years, interest rates are are looking good. They're looking good if you're the saver. They're not looking good if you're the borrower. Exactly right. Right? Like all those people that have variable rate mortgages that have gone up dramatically over the last two years. Now, the good news is the Bank of Canada did pause on their rate hikes for now. And there are rate cuts forecasted for 2024, whether that comes to be or not. This is a confusing topic for a lot of people. So we're going to focus on things like bonds versus bond funds in this episode, right? You know, people looking for a safe haven for their money. I mean, 
how many times has your phone rung? You get the question of what you just mentioned. I see there's a such and such corporate bond being issued for six and a half percent. So let's start by breaking down the basics. Greg, can you spend some time explaining what a bond fund is for our listeners? Actually, let me rephrase that. Greg, I hope that in all of your years of experience and wisdom, that you're able and capable to explain what a bond fund is for our listeners. I hope I am. <laughs> Listen, I mean, a bond fund is essentially a pool of individual bonds that's managed by a professional fund manager. And so much like equity funds, this is just the particular asset class that these managers deal with are bonds. And the main difference though, in terms of buying a fund versus an individual bond is when you invest in a bond fund, you're buying shares of the fund itself. You're not buying the individual bonds. And the fund can hold anything, including a mix of government bonds, corporate bonds, municipal bonds. And it all really depends on the objectives of that particular fund. But again, it's a basket of bonds that's professionally managed by a fund manager. Yeah. And on the other hand, you could buy individual bonds, which means purchasing specific bonds issued by a government or a corporation or a municipality or anything like that. And these bonds each have their own unique characteristics. They have their own maturity dates, coupon rates, credit ratings, things that are going to impact the price of those bonds. Exactly. So let's dive into the main point of this whole podcast, and that is what are some of the pros and cons of each approach? So let's start by talking about some of the advantages of investing in bond funds specifically. Well, the biggest advantage is diversification. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the stock market, the bond market, commodities, real estate. I mean, if you're going to hear anything from this podcast, it's one of the principles is diversification. Right on. Right? Yep. And bond funds just offer this instant diversification across a range of bonds, which just helps reduce risk. This includes not only diversification by issuer and type of issuer, but also geographically. So it means that a fund holder may have access to bonds issued by foreign governments and corporations which may offer better interest rates or yields than Canadian bonds alone. And you're seeing that right now. Some of the bond solutions that we focus on in the bond funds that we recommend have just higher yields than Canadian bonds. And they might be invested in very similar things, just in different regions. So it can be really difficult for an individual investor to diversify a bond portfolio by buying individual bonds because how many individual bonds can you buy? If you have a $500,000 portfolio and 60% of your money's in bonds, that's 300,000. See how I did that math there? Yeah, that was good for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, with 300,000, I mean, what do you buy? Like 10,000 per bond, 25,000 per bond? And you know, the interesting thing is you could, but what you typically find is that when people buy individual bonds, they in fact limit it even further. They'll say, okay, well, let's just build a bond ladder with a bond maturing every year for five years or every year for 10 years. And in that case, they may only have 10 bonds in their portfolio, 30,000 each. Well, I think that's one of the biggest areas we want to explore is that the reason we recommend bond funds, maybe I'm letting the cat out of the bag, versus individual bonds. Number one is diversification, as you mentioned, or I mentioned. Number two is that professional management, meaning an experienced fund manager makes decisions on which bonds to buy and sell which can be a relief from investors who are really not well-versed in the bond market because the bond market is really unknown to most investors. Like when you turn on the news, it says the Dow did this, the S&P did that, the dollar's here, oil's at this. 
doesn't usually say the bond market did that. Well, and the other thing, just to your point on diversification, is that, you know, when we look at uh, individual bond portfolios, or I should say portfolios of individual bonds, not only are they concentrated, they're highly concentrated. So if somebody, as I mentioned, maybe they have a, a ladder, 10 bonds, each bond maturing one year after the other, they're all Canadian, first of all, and they typically end up being really focused on a couple of key sectors, namely the sectors that are the biggest issuers of bonds. So you may end up with a portfolio of 10 financial company bonds and things like that. So it really can be a, 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 a real serious issue. And, you know, everybody knows how we feel about diversification. Well, the question I would pose to anybody that owns 10 bonds in a ladder is, would you feel comfortable owning just 10 stocks? It's kind of the same thing. The other thing I always like to do is propose, look, okay, you've got a portfolio of $500,000. If you had a portfolio of a billion dollars, would you be comfortable just having $100 million in each of 10 bonds. (laughs) (laughs) The law of large numbers. There you go. But the other thing, of course, is the bond funds are also highly liquid, just like funds in equity classes or real estate or anything else. And so you can buy or sell the shares of a bond fund on any trading day, any amount that you want, which provides a lot of flexibility and easy access to your money if you're actually looking to withdraw funds from bonds. And, and that can be particularly important for investors that have cash flow requirements. Yeah, and I'm going to lump in bond ETFs with bond funds for this discussion because they're kind of the same thing. So as you say, they give you all this liquidity, which is really important, but they also have lower investment minimums compared to buying individual bonds. So they just make them more accessible to a broader range of investors. Like, you know, if you have a $5,000 RSP, what do you do? You can't buy 10 bonds. You have to buy a fund or an ETF. There's another advantage of bond funds versus individual bonds, and it's probably not what a lot of people think about, you know, on a day-to-day basis, but what's called cash drag. And cash drag basically is the underperformance of a portfolio relative to the performance of the underlying assets. So let me clarify that a little bit. So you need to, let's make this relevant to bonds. You need to think about how a bond works. So typically when you buy a bond, you buy a certain principal amount, let's say $10,000. And if it's a 5% bond, then until the bond matures, you're going to receive 5% of $10,000 or $500 per year in interest payments. Did you do that math in your head? Well, I had to, I had to work it out on paper, actually. <laughs> you get $500 a year in interest payments. And typically for most bonds, tradable and marketable bonds, interest payments are made twice a year, which means you're going to receive $250 every six months. So now you have to find an investment that pays at least the same 5% as your bond that you're holding. And you must be able to buy it with the $250 that you get each time a coupon payment is made. And the problem can be that those small amounts of cash flows might be below the minimums that you require for certain purchases. I mean, bonds, you need at least $1,000 to buy a bond. And if you hold a number of bonds, then the timing of those payments might require a lot of management because you might get $250 payments every three or four weeks or something. And so basically what happens is it requires a lot of time and management to ensure that the payments don't sit in cash because typically cash does not pay the same yield as bonds or stocks in your portfolio. 
So if you're trying to manage individually, there might be a lot of cash drag, which can certainly affect the performance of your overall portfolio. Whereas bond funds, because of their size, they're very efficient at reinvesting cash flows quickly into additional bonds. And they do that as soon as those cash flows show up. Which actually helps offset things like inflation risk, interest rate risk, reinvestment risk. It's just a natural hedge to some degree. But another advantage of bond funds, I would say, are fees. And some people are not going to agree with me on this when I say that. They're going to say, well, wait a minute, that bond fund that you recommended has a management expense ratio of whatever, 0.5%. That's right. Something like that. And that's ongoing. I pay that 0.5% every year. And I say, yeah, yeah, you do. But you know, the bond market is not like the stock market. It's not an auction market. And so when you're buying individual bonds, you're buying them from In our case, we'd buy them from a retail bond desk, which buys them from an institutional bond desk, which buys them from other institutional bond desks. Now, if you think about that layering effect, there's a layer of fees involved there. So when a bond is issued at $100 with a 5% coupon on the institutional desk first, and then it's sold to another institutional desk at $101 and 4.5% yield, And then it goes to another retail desk and now it's $102 and a 4% yield. So your implicit fee would be the $2. Exactly. And I don't think a lot of people take that into consideration. And that's what they call the bid-ask spread. You know, so if you're buying a stock on the stock exchange and it's a liquid stock, like maybe one of the big bank stocks or like a large Canadian company or something, the bid-ask spread might be one cent. But when you're buying a bond from a bond desk, the bid-ask spread can be quite substantial. And the other thing, too, is it can actually work against you. There's been cases where, uh, you know, and this is in the past when I used to buy bonds, individual bonds, before I uh, saw the light. If you went and bought a bond today or this minute from a bond desk, you might pay, as you say, maybe $101 for the bond. And then if you turned around and tried to sell it back to the same bond desk, we'll give 10, you 99. 10 minutes later, you might get 99 or 100. <laughs> yeah. And so as you say, those are one of those implicit fees that are built into the price of a bond, that bid-ask spread. What happens with institutional investors and large mutual funds is they can achieve much better pricing when they buy and sell bonds. And because of the quantity that they buy and those savings that can offset, you know, those basically can offset some of the explicit costs, which, as you mentioned, are the fund's management fees. Some people aren't going to like me saying this out loud, but the way it's been described to me, and I'm not, these are not my words, is that when you buy bonds from a retail bond desk, you are buying bonds at either too high of price or too low of quality. That if you actually went up the ladder to the institutional desks, you would just get better prices and better quality. And so, Greg, are we recommending that people invest in institutionally managed bond funds? Yes, we are, Colin. Of course. That's what we do with our own money. That's right. Exactly. Basically, there's other advantages to owning bond funds, and, and we can discuss some of them. But I just want to talk a little bit about why it might make sense to own individual bonds versus bond funds. And and listen, I you know I want to be totally transparent here. There might be some reasons why you might, in fact, want to own an individual bond. And one of the arguments that comes up against bond funds is that they don't have a fixed maturity date. And so when you own a bond fund, you've got basically a portfolio of many bonds, and you're buying shares of a fund that will just fluctuate in price 
over time and pay out interest payments on a regular basis, usually monthly in the case of bond funds. So you don't know exactly when you're going to get your principal back. And for some people, that can make planning for future expenses challenging. So for example, if an investor has a need for cash flows on some specific timing, she can buy bonds that mature on those dates. So for example, let's say you need cash for a large purchase on a single date in the future, two or three years down the road, or you're planning for regular expenses such as tuition, which come up once a year maybe, then there may well be a reason for holding some individual bonds with those specific maturity dates. Sure, this is just cash flow matching. And I would argue that it's all time horizon related. So it's just the same as if somebody came in and said, I've got this $500,000 and I'd like to invest it. So what's your time horizon? Well, I want to buy a house in six months. Well, then you're pretty limited on what you can invest in versus I've got $500,000. I have no need for the money. It's going to fund my retirement 20 years from now. All of a sudden, your options open up dramatically. That's right. And as I say, I mean, there might be a situation like if somebody knows, for example, that they're going to buy a car in four years and they want $80,000 available, you could make an argument that, well, we'll just buy a strip bond that matures in four years, you know, it's worth 80000 in the future. You might pay 70000 today. And, yeah. and that would certainly guarantee that that money is available exactly in the amount and when you want it. Okay. So you buy that strip bond at a discount because that's how strip bonds are priced, right? So let's say you pay $90 for that strip bond, matures at $100 in four years. You know what? You're going to get your 80000 well, you could take the other 10 bucks and put it into the equity market and uh, hopefully offset some inflation and probably get more. Anyways, that's a whole other topic. But so I think what it talks about is this element of control really being the primary advantage of owning individual bonds, like yep. you mentioned, for cash flow matching purposes or things like that. But one of the interesting misconceptions of owning these individual bonds is that they're not subject to price volatility, such as bond mutual funds would be right. for interest rate movements and things, the uh, purchasing power. So well, it's easy to look past the current price of a bond when you know it's maturing at a fixed date in the future. The fact is that they all fluctuate in price. And so do GICs, by the way. People don't like to hear that because their statement, if you buy a GIC today for a hundred bucks for a five-year GIC, for the next five years, it's going to be priced on your statement at a hundred dollars. Good luck trying to sell that GIC early you're not getting a hundred bucks for it. You're going to get some discount. Exactly. So individual bonds might create the illusion of price stability. They're basically all subject to the same factors that affect bond prices, whether they're sitting in an individual portfolio or in, in a fund. And when you think of it, a bond fund is really just a diversified portfolio of individual bonds. You know, so when people say, well, I'm going to have a bond ladder, you know, I'm going to have 10 bonds each maturing, you know, every year for the next 10 years. Multiply that by 10 or, or 100, and that's all a bond fund is. And so while they've got a bunch of individual bonds that are each going to mature at a particular time in the future, the price today of the entire portfolio is going to fluctuate exactly the same as would a bond fund. Yeah, for sure. Critical point. Good one. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. One last point on that. Buying individual bonds could also require more research, due diligence, and effort when compared to just buying a bond fund or ETF, exactly. right? Yeah. I mean, you need to assess the creditworthiness of each issuer, stay informed of things like their financial health, other items that are going to affect the company or the issuer or could affect them. Years ago, I had a guy come in and say, why wouldn't I buy this uh, 12% Venezuelan bond instead of that 
4% government of Canada bond. <laughs> well, what's the chance of the government of Canada defaulting on its debt? And what's the chance of Venezuela defaulting on its debt? And that's why you don't necessarily do that. Exactly. So listen, to sum it up, which approach do you think is better? You sort of gave away your, uh, your views on this, but uh, what do you think is better for an individual investor, buying a bond fund or buying an individual bond? Well, let me start by saying there's, there's, there is no one size fits all. Maybe we're being a little flippant on this to some degree, but it really depends on what we mentioned, your goals, risk tolerance, how much involvement you want to have in that security selection. For those investors who want things like diversification, professional management, liquidity, somebody to manage things like duration, which we haven't talked about, I fully believe that you should be invest you should be investing in bond funds. Mm-hmm. The cost of that MER is outweighed by the professional expertise that's going into managing that pool of funds for you. And that the argument that people put forward about, and we've just gone through it, well, why don't I just buy five bonds on a ladder and so what? There's a huge amount of risk there that, like I mentioned earlier, what about reinvestment risk? Put it into context in today's market, those people that are buying one-year GICs paying 5% right now and saying, well, look how great I'm doing. Well, what's the reinvestment risk a year from now? You're probably not going to get 5% on a reinvestment of a one-year GIC a year from now. Just putting it out there. And just as you've mentioned, I mean, there's some talk that maybe, you know, in the early part of next year, maybe the governments will start actually cutting back on interest rates. So that obviously, then if that happens, we're not going to get the same kind of yields a year from now that we're getting we're getting today. But that you see that in the yield curve. I mean, you see that like, why aren't there five-year, 5% paying GICs? They don't exist right now. There are one, maybe two year, maybe three, I'm not sure, but definitely not five. I'm with you. And you know, it's really important for investors to really consider their individual circumstances and objectives before making any kind of a decision. As always, uh, we always recommend seeking advice from a financial advisor possibly us or others, but making sure that you're dealing with somebody who's familiar with, in this case, the bond market, because it's not a straightforward market that many people might believe. And so you want to have somebody working with you that understands the market and the various factors. Yeah. You know, I want to wrap up with a a quick little story of something that happened recently, Greg. I had a a friend I grew up with reach out to me recently and he said, uh, my uh, banker recommended this bond mutual fund. What do you think? And my reply to him was, well, when do you need the money? And he said, well, I'm thinking about buying a a rental house maybe a year from now. And uh, I said, well, I think you should really look at what kind of planning you're doing first before you decide on a particular product, just like we talked about. Yeah, I can get into the, the ins and outs of the bond fund of that particular bond fund versus its peers versus its benchmark, but I don't know if it matters. And so... Maybe we should wrap it up there is just planning is critical. And if it's not done in advance, then all of the decisions you make are could be wrong. You have to have the plan in place before, as you say, you know whether a person should even be in a fund. Otherwise, you're going to be faced with that hindsight bias, right? Oh, I should have. I should have invested in the stock market a year ago. I should have invested in the bond market a year ago. Like, it's going to look obvious after the fact. So anyways, I, I guess that's about it. On that note, let's, uh, let's wrap it up for this week. All right. Buy a bond fund. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. 
To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Woodgundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Woodgundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.